Welcome to the January 24th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 7, verses 32 through 44, and the sermon is entitled, The Failure of Part-Time Faith, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We are taking another step forward in the great gospel of John. As you know, John was one of the most trusted friends, one of the great disciples of Jesus, the Lord. He walked with Jesus, being one of the first ones called into Jesus' earthly ministry as a disciple. Walked with him for three years. After that ministry was completed, when Jesus went to the cross, rose from the grave, we know that some 50 years went by before John wrote these words down under the inspiration of God. He did not give us a full account of Jesus' life. He gave us the high water marks of Jesus' life. He himself said, if all those things written down from Jesus' life uh, would fill all the books, fill the world with books uh, that could not contain it. And so today, we know that we're seeing the high water marks of Jesus' ministry, Jesus' life through the eyes of John, the disciple. This is a testimony. This is a witness. Remember that this is John's witnessing tool to bring the earth, to bring the world, to bring the people of the world to Jesus as Lord and Savior. So today, as we come to chapter 7. Let me set the stage a little bit for our study today. As chapter 7 opens, Jesus is in Galilee, up by the Sea of Galilee. That's far north in the Holy Land. And as he is there, he is having a conversation with his biological brothers. If you remember his relationship with his brothers, while it may have been a very loving relationship, and I'm sure it was, there was a breakdown in the relationship. Look at verse 5 of chapter 7. Scripture says, for neither did his brethren or his brothers believe in him. And so at this point in Jesus' life, Jesus' ministry, his own earthly brothers, his half-brothers, did not know him as Savior, did not believe him as Savior, did not believe that the words from him were total truth. And so Jesus was concerned about these brothers, certainly, his own unsaved family members. How many of us, not raising our hands, but how many of us have unsaved family members for whom we are concerned? Jesus shared that concern for his own family. He had the unsaved even as he walked the earth as the Savior. He was concerned for his brothers as well. But his own brothers taught him, tease him, And basically, they are saying to him in this chapter 7, here we are up here far north in Galilee, but down to the south, about 80 miles below us south in Jerusalem, is the Feast of the Tabernacles. It is a huge holy day for the the Israelites, for the Jewish community. And much of the world comes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles. So you have the residents of Jerusalem, the holy men, Pharisees, and leaders of the Jewish faith who are there. And then you also have many members of the world who have come to Jerusalem to celebrate this holy day. Jesus, why don't you travel south 80 miles, pull out a few of your fancy miracles, and show them who you are? But I remind you that that was not a positive upbuilding of Jesus' life and ministry, but rather it was a taunt toward him because they were not believers. They were almost poking fun at him. But keep this in mind. The cross is looming large now. The cross is coming soon. And Jesus' ministry is picking up passion, picking up force, picking up momentum because the cross is coming. And Jesus feels the weight of the cross with every passing day. He knows the cross is fully on its way toward him. Jesus is on a divine time schedule. Remember that his timetable was divine. It was set by God the Father. He was not going to be early, 
nor would he be late to his cross. It was set on God's calendar. Now, Jesus does leave Galilee, and he does travel the 80 miles southward. He does go to Jerusalem. He arrives at the Feast of the Tabernacles, and all of Jerusalem is crowded with people, and he comes in discreetly and quietly and privately about the middle of the week. The the, the, uh, Feast of Tabernacles is seven days long. He arrives at about the halfway point of the feast. Now, at this point, Jesus' ministry had picked up lots of traction, and Jesus himself was becoming very popular. And so believers were coming. Believers were professing their faith in him, and and the, the, the ranks of people who were knowing him as Savior were beginning to grow exponentially. On the other hand, there was also a group of detractors against him particularly the religious leaders of the Jewish faith, the scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders of the temple worship, they not only disliked Jesus, they hated Jesus. They hated him so much that they were devising a plan to kill him, to get him off of the face of the earth. Well, here's a basic question. Why did they hate him so much? And here's the answer to that. Because Jesus was exposing them as fakes, Basically, what he said is the leaders of the Jewish faith are teaching Scripture out of their head, but there's no connection with God of their heart. They have nothing spiritual about them. They wear their fancy robes. They have their diplomas on the wall. They do all the fancy things. They get saluted in the markets as religious leaders, but they're fake. They're phonies. They're actors. And so this group hated him for it. He was calling them out for who they truly were, misleading the people rather than leading them in true faith. And they hated him for it. They wanted him off of the face of the earth. But Jesus would not die one second before God's will was carried out and fulfilled in his life. So today, we're going to concentrate on John chapter 7, verses 32 through 44. Now, as I prepare to read this passage, I want you to take note of this. Jesus' message and Jesus' invitation of salvation and his warning about hell is getting more intense by the day. Because the cross is coming. He is calling people to faith. But he's also acknowledging those who are rejecting him. Because hell is going to be a true place for them. So he's being honest. He's being truthful. And he is passionate about the message of salvation. His voice is rising now. Higher and higher and louder and louder. To call people in to the truth of God. In our terminology Jesus is saying there's no time to be wishy-washy here. You either choose me or you reject me. And there is no middle ground. There is no straddling the fence. You make your decision for me or against me. But there can't be anything in the middle. It's all or it's nothing. Make your decision for me because time is crucial. With that, let's look at John 7. Start with verse 32. Keep your Bible open. I'm going to read this in two sections today. But look at John 7, begin with verse 32. Remember, he is teaching the Word of God, and he is in the temple. The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye seek me, ye shall seek me, And shall not find me, for where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go into the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach 
The Gentiles? What manner of saying is this, that he said, Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me. And where I am, thither ye cannot come. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But, he, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's stop at that point. As we back up, if you go back to John 7, verse 14, you find where Jesus is. He is making these statements very publicly within the temple, with, on the temple grounds. This is the crux. This is the place where everyone is revolving and gathering for the Feast of the Tabernacle. So the world is listening to what Jesus is saying here. And he has boldly stood at the temple during these holy days, and people from all over the world are listening to him, and Jesus is loudly proclaiming who he is and calling people to put their faith and their trust in him as the Son of God. John chapter 7, verse 32 all the religious teachers and leaders who hated him said, he's getting too popular here. Too many people are coming listening to him in the temple. And they call the temple guard and say, take him out. Remove him bodily from the temple so that his voice is no longer heard here. But God would not allow that to happen. The guards couldn't touch him. No one could drag him out because God Almighty said, it's not time for my son to be removed from the scene. So Jesus was able to stay by God's permission, not by man's permission, but by God's permission. In 733, Jesus says, I won't be with you much longer, a reference to the cross. Jesus knows that the cross is coming. I won't be with you bodily in a presence like I am right now. It won't be long. I won't be here like this. But I want you to listen to a very key statement, and he says this, if you reject me now, if you reject me in these days, there will come a time when you'll never find me again. You see me now, but there will come a time that you will never be able to see me again. You will never find me. You won't be able to come because where I am, you will not be able to come there. You will not be able to enter the place where I am. You'll be lost. You'll be forever separated from me. I'm giving you an opportunity now that will not be uh, repeated forever. You need to make a decision for me now because I'm going somewhere that if you don't make the right decision, you will never see me again. You will be forever separated from me. But here's the good news. Look at verses 37 and 38. The last day, the great day of the feast. This is the seventh day then of the feast. Jesus stood and cried. Notice his voice inflection. He's not whispering this. He is shouting it to the world. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So here we are, the seventh, the last day of the feast in Jerusalem, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now let me tell you about the high point of this celebration day among the Jews. The priests and the religious leaders of the Jews are helping them remember and recognize that back in the days of the Exodus, when 
Israel had been released from slavery in Egypt, and they wandered in the wilderness and in the desert. God provided the Israelites water even in the desert that they might live. Even in a desert place, God gave them what they didn't expect to get, which was water to drink. And so the high point of the day of the Feast of Tabernacles was that the priests would go through the crowds and through the temple grounds and sprinkle water, symbolic of the water that God gave to Israel when they were in the wilderness. And Jesus then springs from that symbolism, and he says this, sprinkling water, he cries out, if you come to me now, while you're watching all the priests sprinkle this water among you, let me say this, if you will come to me now, I will give you living water. I will give you water of eternity. I will give you water of life. I will give you water of forgiveness. If you come to me now, I'll quench your thirst. Remember, that's the same statement he made to the woman at the well back in John chapter 4. Drink my water, and you'll never thirst again. Drink my water, and you'll have purpose. Drink my water, you'll have satisfaction. Drink my water and you'll have eternal peace. It's offered to you now. I love the statement in verse 38 that Jesus says, if you drink my water, it will not be contained in you, but rather it will flow out of you as a river of living water. And, and this verse flowing out of us as a river of living water to me connects with Psalm 23 that says, my cup runneth over. That means God has given me so much that I can't contain it. In the same way, when we drink the living water of Jesus Christ, He gives us so much in the way of His joy and His peace and His grace that the living water flows out of us that we might witness that to other people. It's a witness. It's a symbol of us giving the good news to someone else. The water runs out of us and touches other lives that they might know Jesus as Lord and Savior spills over from the edges of our life that others might also know the Savior through His living water. Listen, Christian, here's the firm word of Jesus. If you and I know Him, we will be a witness for Him. There's no choice to be made. We don't say, I'll make a decision whether or not I'm going to be a witness. I'll make a decision whether or not I'm going to represent Jesus where I live and where I work. I'll make a decision whether or not I'm going to speak the name of Jesus. Jesus says when we know him, that living water is going to flow out of us and we will be a witness. There's no decision to be made. We will be a representative of Jesus the Christ when he lives in us, when we have drunk the living water. You will get off the sofa. You will do something for him in the way of ministry and, and mission you will look for opportunities to reach out. And our desire together is that we will honor Him and we will serve Him in all that we do. How important it is for us to realize that these words are intended for the individual believer. For you and for me as an individual, we're going to do what God calls us to do in our own lives with our own talents. But collectively also as a church, we want the living water through us to, to reach the world, to touch the world, to bring the lost to Christ as Lord and Savior. Living water should spill out of us as individuals and as a church body. That's the word of Jesus himself. That's what he tells us. One of the most accurate tests of whether or not you're truly a believer is this question. Do you have a passion? Do you have a desire for other people to know Jesus as their Savior? If you do not care, 
That makes a great statement about where the Holy Spirit is with you. It's not there. When the Holy Spirit lives in us, that living water of the Spirit in us is going to have a passion to see other people saved. It is the true question of eternity. Do you want to see your family saved? Do you want to see your circle of friends saved? Do you want to see your classmates saved? Do you want others to know the love of Christ as you know Him? That defines our faith in Christ. You know, I love to see young people saved and baptized from 6 to 8 to 10 to 16, however old it might be. Children and young people coming to Christ as Lord and Savior. It's a wonderful thing. But church, remember that that moment in their lives, that moment of salvation, that moment of baptism is the beginning of the journey. And as a church and as families, we need to build them up and teach them what it means to allow the living water to be stirred in them so they can touch the world for Jesus Christ. It, it pains my pastor's heart when I see parents bring children to the church and those children are baptized as believers and then somewhere the family disappears doing other things. That, that's painful because we need to be training those children in godly living. We need to be training those children in knowing the Word of God. We need to be mentoring them as a church in the faith so that at, they will develop as witnesses themselves, so that the living water is stirred in them, that they understand, I am a witness. Even if you're six years old, I am a witness for the living Lord Jesus Christ. And then also, as the generations come and go, they will eventually take my place and yours as well. And we want to leave witnesses behind us, don't we? We have a holy charge as the church to help our youngsters understand the living water that's flowing through them that they can touch the world. Our stand for Christ and for His Word is crucial right now to the future. We need to raise our next generation in Him. Scripture also says today that Jesus is laying all of this on the line and He says, you either follow me in total surrender, in total faith, with no compromise, or you don't follow me at all. It's an all-or-nothing invitation. You cannot come where I am if you don't follow me completely. If you won't follow me with no compromise, you cannot come where I am. In this scripture today, Jesus lays his cards on the table. Look at verse 39. 739, but this spake he of the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus gives this great truth as we date it back 2,000 plus years to his original giving it to the crowd at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. As he speaks these words, he's speaking these words to a crowd that does not know about the cross coming. He speaks these words to a crowd that knows nothing about the resurrection that will come three days later. He speaks these words before Pentecost when the church is born and the Holy Spirit is given to the church. They don't have the spirit that the church will receive in days to come. But church, we have a huge advantage today as we read these words of Scripture because we're on this side of the cross, and we're on this side of the resurrection, and we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us as He gave it to the church. And we understand that Jesus Christ can change the heart. Amen? And we understand through the church that Jesus Christ can change the world. And we're part of that arm of outreach that goes into the world to change it in love of Christ. Now, 
As we come to the end of that passage today, we know that Jesus has laid his cards on the table. He just says, absolutely, you choose me or reject me. If you choose me, you will come where I am. You will live with me. You reject me, you will never see me again. And he's warning of hell. He's warning of separation that will never end, an eternal separation from him. There's no such thing as part-time commitment. We give him all or we give him nothing. That's what he says. Now, how did the people in the temple react to that? Let's end the sermon with that today. How did the people in the temple react to that invitation, all or nothing? Well, as with people today, the reaction was mixed. Uh, We think about that mixed reaction. Well, let's look at it. It's in verses 40 through 44. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the Scripture said that Christ cometh on the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. So according to verse 40, many of the people in the temple listening to Jesus that moment said, He is the prophet. That means he has a connection with God. The word that he is speaking is a word of truth that's coming from God. They had yet taken that last step over the threshold to come to him as Savior. But they were leaning that direction. They were hearing the word of truth. They were hearing Jesus speak. And they were leaning in toward accepting him as Lord and Savior. They were on that positive path of coming to him. They first recognized he is of God. He is the prophet. He is speaking the truth. But there's another group. The second group is in verse 41. They're saying, this is the Christ. This is the Savior. So this group had actually accepted him and had the living water, and they were uh, following him as saved individuals uh, in the kingdom of God. They're secure, they're sure of who he is, and they have received him as Lord and Savior. Then at the end of verse 41 through 42, there's another group. Pay special attention to this group. There are people with doubts. People with questions. Wait a minute now. This man comes from Galilee, and Scripture says that he needs to have a connection with David and come from Bethlehem. Well, obviously, they didn't know where he was born. They didn't know his kinship and his connection to the lineage of David. He certainly was there. But they were questioning, is he really who he says he is? Obviously, this crowd was thinking about it, bringing up doubts and questions. Here's a big point. So many people let doubts make their decision about Christ. You know, doubt is one of Satan's main toolbox items. Remember, he rose doubt in Adam and Eve's mind. Did God really say he was sovereign? Don't you think that maybe if you disobey, you could become more like him? You could become God-like yourself? You can doubt God's word. God said He was sovereign, that he had control over you, but you can doubt that, and you can be more like him. And he's still using that same tool today. He used it right here in John chapter 7. He uses it today when people said, when people will say, why doesn't Jesus let me live like I want to? Why does he give me parameters for life? If Jesus is real, Why do I still have troubles? Why doesn't he deliver me from all the hardships of life? If Jesus is total love, 
Why doesn't he just let me live as I please? My grandpa let me live as I please. Why doesn't Jesus let me live like I choose? Why does he give me guidelines for living? If he's totally forgiving, why doesn't he just give forgiveness to everybody universally? Why didn't he just forgive the world without asking anything of us? Rather than asking us to make a decision of faith. If Jesus really wants to give me true freedom, why do I have to live his way rather than by my choice? So the doubts go on and on and the questions go on and on. Satan still plants those seeds of doubt and question in people's mind to keep them from Jesus as Savior. But here's the truth, believers. And here's the truth if you're seeking for him, wanting to know if he's real. Here's the truth if you've walked away from him, don't believe him, and have rejected him. Here's the truth. This is what Jesus wants. And he will accept no less than what I'm going to say to you. This is what Jesus wants. He wants to hear every individual say, Lord, here is my life, sin and all. I lay everything I have and everything I am before you right now. Here's all of me. Here's my talent. Here's my possessions. Uh, here's my family. Here's my work. Here's my talent. Here's everything I am. And I lay myself before you in faith and in trust. Because I believe that you did go to the cross to take my sin away. I believe that if I were the only human being who ever lived, you'd have still gone to the cross to save me because you love me that much. I want to invest my life in you. I want to give you my heart. I want to live for you. I want to witness for you. I want you to be my total commitment in life. And I will live your way. I will lay aside my will so that your will can be done in me. I want to sell out. I want to totally belong to you. I'm not going to straddle the fence and live, straddle the fence and, and live half the week in the world, and, and then on Sundays I'll be in church. All of me belongs to you. All the time I belong to you. Believers, that's what he wants to hear from us. Do I, do I live that perfectly? Absolutely not. But that's my desire. That's that's my path. That's what I want to travel. That's what I want to grow in is that every day I can live more so that I'm giving everything I have to him. That I want his will to be my will and my will to be gone. It's not completely gone yet, but I want it gone. I want everything I am to belong to the Savior. That's what he wants from you and me. That's what he says here. It's an all or it's a nothing proposition. If you give me all, You'll be with me forever. Reject me, and you'll never come where I am. I want to be with Jesus. Do you want to be with Jesus? I want to be with Jesus. I want to be with him now, and I want to be with him for eternity. And I want to live for him. I want his living water to roll out of me as a witness. I want it for you. I want it for our church. I want it for those of you who are visiting with us today. And if you've never come to him as Lord and Savior, he wants you as his son or daughter. He wants you to come today and lay it all down before him and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. All of me will belong to you. I want to be yours. If you've never done that here in person, you've never done that streaming, 
even out in the parking lot on an FM signal, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, will today you say, Lord, I want all of me to belong to you. I want your will to be my will. And I want to live for you. You know, I love that hymn that we sang, uh, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world could offer. What a great follow-up to this sermon. I'd rather have Jesus than anything in the world. When it is all said and done, can that be our final statement of life? I'd rather have Jesus than anything in all of the world. You know, all of us follow something, whether it's politics or uh, something a little more frivolous or whatever it might be. We all follow something. But whatever we do in life, Jesus is the key to all of life. Living for him is the key to everything we do and everything we believe. So I pray today, believers, that we will rededicate our lives to him, that he will be our all, and that we'd rather have Jesus than anything this world could offer. And today, if you've never received him, that you'll give him, his heart, give him your heart and give him your all and accept that living water that will flow out of you to reach somebody else. Church home, whatever you need. Praise God, he meets us here. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for these moments. Lord, really, Jesus challenges all of us as we see this passage of Scripture, Lord. He just says, if you don't give me all, you will not come where I am. Well, that's pretty pointed, and that's pretty, uh, pretty succinct, succinct, Lord. I pray this day that we will take that to heart. And that we as believers will say, Lord, I don't want to play a game. I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to keep a foot in the world and a foot in the church. I want all of me to belong to you. I want living water to flow from me to witness to others and draw others to the Savior I have. Lord, daily, give me the strength. Give me the wisdom. Give me your word, Lord, that every day I will fully, completely belong to you. If there's one here today, Father, who's never made that decision, however they join us in person by streaming or FM signal, however they're here, if they need Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray that he or she will come and say, Lord, I want to belong to you. Here's my heart. I want you to be my Savior. Help me, Father, to follow you every day, to give my life to you. Bless us, church home, whatever they need. Bless us in this very important moment, I pray. As believers, as seekers, as those who need to be saved, as the people of God, help us, Father, to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.